The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. The passage of Scripture we'll be looking at this morning is 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 18. For context, I'll begin reading a few verses before that. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our bro- beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Lisa. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for the matchless treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for his appearing at one day in the future where we will get to see him face to face and enjoy him for all eternity as we just read. Lord, we pray that you would prepare us even now for that day, Lord, that we would be ready to meet you when you come. And we pray that you would use this text and this message in our lives toward that end, Lord. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Oh, God, draw us closer to you. Make us more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, read an article recently about a 22-year-old woman named Shauna Ray, who's often frustrated because she looks just like an eight-year-old. Basically, the way this happened is that when Shauna was a baby, she had brain cancer. And because of the chemotherapy she received, her pituitary gland was rendered almost dormant. So when she was three feet, 10 inches tall, she stopped growing. She also retained the facial features of an eight-year-old. Yet today, and in this picture, she's 22. Now, as you might imagine, her physical appearance has caused no small amount of difficulties and misunderstandings in her life. And of course, there's also a TV show about her now coming out in a couple of months. And uh, the reason for all of this attention, both in the the form of the articles that have been published and the, the TV show, is that we recognize how unique this is. 
right? Just to state it bluntly, it's not normal not to grow, right? If a parent takes their child to the doctor and uh, their child, and let's just say it's an annual checkup, but their, their child hasn't grown at all since their last checkup, well, I can guarantee that the doctor is going to be very concerned about that. And rightly so, because generally speaking, something's very wrong if they're not growing. And yet, there seem to be many professing Christians who don't exhibit much, if any, discernible growth spiritually over the years and remain stagnant in their spiritual development. And that's not good because not only is growth expected for a healthy Christian, but it's explicitly commanded in passages of scripture like the one we'll be looking at this morning, 2 Peter 3.18, where Peter instructs his readers to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the main idea I'd like to examine today is that God calls his people to grow in grace. God calls his people to grow in grace. And by the way, the reason we're looking at this passage instead of continuing our study through the book of Acts this morning is related to the new year. Uh, I believe it's healthy to spend some time every so often uh, systematically examining ourselves and evaluating our spiritual health. Kind of like what I just mentioned with uh, someone going to the doctor for an annual checkup to see how healthy they are. And people generally recognize how important that is physically, yet I'd argue it's even more important spiritually. And so think of this morning as an opportunity to do a spiritual checkup of sorts on yourself as we begin this new year. Now, we will be going over a list of various indicators of spiritual growth for us to use in this checkup. But first, I'd like to explore the meaning of this idea we find in 2 Peter 3.18, growing in grace. That's the phrase that everything we'll talk about this morning is based on. Peter tells his readers to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to grow in grace? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that we grow in our justification in the eyes of God. We, as Christians, will never be more justified or uh, forgiven or righteous in God's eyes than we are right now. When we embraced Jesus, we uh, were immediately forgiven for every sin we had ever committed or will commit. And we're clothed as well with the very righteousness of Jesus himself. So as a result, when God the Father looks at us, he sees nothing but the perfect righteousness of his son. And so growing in grace can't mean that we grow in our justification or right standing before God. 
Rather, it means that we grow in what's often called our sanctification. Essentially, to grow in grace means that God's grace becomes more visible in the way we live our lives, the way we think, the desires that we have, the conversations we engage in, the priorities we maintain, and the things we do. The gracious work of the Holy Spirit becomes more and more dominant in every aspect of our lives. That's what it means to grow in grace. And of course, all of this flows out of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Every time the Bible uses the word grace, you can always assume that it has its origin in Jesus. See, grace is a gift, yes, but it isn't free. No gift is free. When you receive a gift, you might not have to pay for it yourself, but somebody did. And likewise, with grace, it had to be purchased. And that purchase was made by Jesus on the cross. The fact is that you and I deserve to face God's judgment for our sins. And yet, Jesus went to the cross and endured that judgment in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Like he paid the debt we owed. And in so doing, he purchased every aspect of the rescue and salvation we enjoy, including not only our justification, but also our sanctification. Your growth as a Christian, your growth to spiritual maturity was paid for by Jesus on the cross. And as we can see in 2 Peter, that growth is something God expects of us throughout our lives. Notice that Peter, he makes no distinction, right? He commands all of his readers to grow, not just those who are younger in the faith. We never outgrow our need to grow. Uh, I'm reminded of a story I once heard about Albert Einstein. He was once uh, talking uh, with a, a young woman at a, an event in London who uh, wasn't aware of who he was. And so the two of them were getting to know each other a little bit. And the woman asked him what he did. He replied, I'm a student of physics. So the woman said, oh, physics. I already got my master's degree in physics, right? So notice the difference in their mentalities, right? Th this woman thought she was done studying physics, whereas Einstein viewed himself as a lifelong student of the subject. And that latter mentality is what we're called to as Christians. Again, we never outgrow our need grow. As Paul says so well in Philippians 3, 12 through 15, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think in this way. So let's follow Paul's example this morning, shall we? Let's press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, one problem we often run into as we pursue spiritual growth is that we misunderstand what it looks like. So often, from what I've seen, well-meaning Christians view spiritual growth uh, many times simply in terms of Bible knowledge. We assume that if we're growing in our knowledge of the Bible and our ability to regurgitate biblical teaching, as it were, then that must mean we're growing spiritually. And yet that's not necessarily true. Even though knowledge of the Bible is absolutely critical for our spiritual growth, it would be a terrible mistake to equate the two. Uh, Because there are plenty of people who have a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge, and yet they don't look anything like Jesus. So thinking again of the phrase from our main text, what does it look like then to grow in grace? How can we know if we're growing in grace? What, What kinds of things should we look for in our lives Well, I'd like to suggest six marks of growing in grace. And by the way, I've gotten these from a 19th century theologian named J.C. Ryle. I believe his sketch of what it looks like to grow is the best I've ever seen and is just as relevant today as it was 150 years ago. So I'd like to share his six points, moderately edited, uh, with you this morning. First is greater humility. That's the first mark of growing in grace. Greater humility. This means, among other things, that we become increasingly aware of our sinfulness and unworthiness. I believe we can see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Earlier in his life, he referred to himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 as the least of the apostles. Then after that, he referred to himself in Ephesians 3.8 as the very least of all the saints. And then finally, toward the end of his life, Paul referred to himself in 1 Timothy 1.15 as the foremost of sinners. So note the progression. Paul went from viewing himself as the least of the apostles to the very least of all the saints to the foremost of sinners. The more He progressed spiritually the more aware he became of his sin. Now, why is that, do you think? Well, I believe the best explanation is that he grew closer to God and saw more of God's holiness. See, the more aware we become of how holy God is, the more we, aware we become of how unholy we are. It'd be kind of like entering a room that was absolutely filthy. Now, let's say that, that you went into a room that had mud tracked all over it. Well, if the room was dark, 
the, the lights were out, there was no light coming in from outside, you probably wouldn't see how dirty that room is, right? And even if the lights were dim, you, you might not see fully how filthy it is. And yet, as that room was illuminated with more and more light, the mud on the floor would become increasingly apparent. Likewise, the more we see the light of God's holiness, the more aware we become of the ways in which we fall short of that. His light exposes our sins. And we can see this dynamic quite clearly in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is confronted with a powerful vision of this holy God on his throne. And immediately the first words out of Isaiah's mouth are, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Also, when Jesus performs a miracle in front of Peter, providing a miraculous catch of fish for Peter, even after he's been, Peter's been fishing all night without catching anything, how does Peter respond to that? Is he like, Oh, great. Thanks for the fish, Jesus. No. <laughs> he says in Luke 5:8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. So what about you? Are you growing in humility, in, in a, especially a humble awareness of your sin? Then a second mark of growing in grace is greater delight in Jesus. Greater delight in Jesus. Remember that back in our main text, 2 Peter 3.18, Peter speaks not only of growing in the grace of Jesus, but also growing in the knowledge of Jesus. And I don't believe he's just referring to intellectual or academic knowledge, but rather chiefly to a personal knowledge of Jesus. We might say Peter's speaking not merely of knowledge about Jesus, but knowledge of Jesus. It's not just knowing about knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing him for who he is and himself. That is a core component of growing in grace. Listen to the way J.C. Ryle describes it. He writes, the man whose soul is growing finds more in Christ to rest upon every year. And rejoices more that he has such a savior. As he grows in grace, he sees a thousand things in Christ, of which at first he never dreamed. His love and power, his heart and his intentions, his offices as substitute, intercessor, priest, advocate, physician, shepherd, and friend, unfold themselves to a growing soul in an unspeakable manner. In short, he discovers a suitableness in Christ to the wants of his soul, of which the half was once not known to him. You know, it kind of reminds me of looking up at the sky. You can go outside at night and look up at the sky without any telescope or anything and see enough to be amazed. Right? The sheer magnificence of the nighttime sky is enough to take your breath away. And yet, 
there's so much more there that you just can't see, right? There are countless stars and even entire galaxies that in a certain sense are right in front of you and there to be seen, but your eyes aren't powerful enough to see them. The reason we know that, of course, is because we have telescopes. And the more powerful the telescope, well, the more uh, we can see of the grandeur of this universe. Similarly, the more you grow in grace, the more of Jesus you see. And the more you can delight in him. These things that you see in him, of course, were there to be seen all along. Yet it's only as we grow that we begin to really see them (laughs) as if for the first time. We see that Jesus is even more glorious and more beautiful and more delightful and desirable than we ever knew before. So are you experiencing that, right? Spiritual checkup. Are you delighting more in Jesus right now than you were at this time last year? Then a third mark of growing in grace is greater holiness of life and conversation. Greater holiness of life and conversation. There's no question that a war is raging in the heart of every true Christian. I mean, we experience godly desires pulling us in one direction and sinful desires pulling us in the other direction. Now, thankfully, we understand that one day all of those sinful desires will be eradicated when we go to be with the Lord. Yet for the time being, we're at war. However, in that war, we should be winning more and more of the battles. There should be measurable progress in our fight against sin. Those who struggle with anger, for example, should become increasingly patient. Those who struggle with lust should become increasingly pure. Those who often speak foolishly or carelessly should become increasingly thoughtful in their conversations. Those with a critical spirit should become increasingly gracious in their disposition. Those who struggle with greed should become increasingly grateful and content. Those who are bitter and tend to hold grudges should become increasingly inclined to forgive others and overlook wrongs. And those who tend to make an idol out of what other people think about them should become more oriented around what God thinks about them. That's what growth to holiness looks like, practically speaking, and many more things as well. (laughs) Now, progress might be very gradual, Amen? (laughs) And often experienced as two steps forward, one step back. But over time, the battle line should be moving closer and closer to the enemy's camp. The forces of darkness should be retreating 
and the forces of light should be advancing. Then the fourth mark of growing in grace is greater spirituality of taste and mind. That's the way Ryle phrases it. Greater spirituality of taste and mind. Uh, Listen to what Ryle writes. The man whose soul is growing takes more interest in spiritual things every year. He does not neglect his duty in the world. He discharges faithfully, diligently, and conscientiously every relation of life. But the things he loves best are spiritual things. The ways and fashions and amusements and recreations of the world have a continually decreasing place in his heart. He does not condemn them as downright sinful, nor say to those who have anything to do with them are going to hell. He only feels that they have a constantly diminishing hold on his own affections and gradually seems smaller and more trifling in his eyes. Spiritual companions, spiritual occupations, and spiritual conversation appear of ever-increasing value to him. Now, notice that Ryle, in that statement, is very clear that many earthly amusements and recreations aren't necessarily sinful. But the more we grow in grace, the less of a place those things have in our hearts. We can enjoy them without being oriented around them or driven by them. And so practically speaking, that means that we can go to that Steelers game and we can have a great time there. And then we can come back home and praise God that we have something even better than that. That's right. Our chief desire is for more of God. It's kind of like when someone grows from childhood to adulthood and their taste buds change. I'm sure that there are things that you liked as a kid that you don't really care for that much now. For example, I know I used to think that McDonald's chicken nuggets were amazing. I mean, did they put some kind of crack in those things? Because they were incredible. But today, when I think about McDonald's chicken nuggets, <laughs> kids say they want to go to McDonald's. I'm just like, oh. And then similarly, the, the other way as well, right? Um, I remember there are things I didn't used to like at all, such as lasagna, that I now think are delicious. And just as our physical tastes change uh, when we grow to physical adulthood, our spiritual tastes change when we grow to spiritual adulthood. The things that once consumed our thoughts and and were once the focal points of our schedule, you know, those things that we planned everything else around. Now, strangely, they just don't seem like such a big deal anymore. It's not that we're suffering. It's not that we feel deprived. They just, for whatever reason, just don't seem quite as important as they once seemed. Instead, we desire God above everything. Our hearts can testify with the psalmist who says to God in Psalm 73, 25 and 26, whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We can also say to God what the psalmist says in Psalm 84:10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And the focus of our lives matches that of the psalmist when he says in Psalm 27, 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Moving forward, um, the fifth mark of growth and grace is greater love for others. Jesus is very clear that love is the centerpiece of the Christian ethic. The entire law, he says, can be summed up in just two directives, loving God and loving others. And to get super practical, here's what it looks like for us to grow in our love for others. Whereas we once might have been impatient with the faults of others, we now find ourselves extending a lot more grace toward them. Whereas we once might have repaid tit for tat, we now discover a new ability to overlook wrongs against us. Whereas we once might have assumed the worst about someone's intentions, we're now inclined toward a much more charitable judgment of them and to give them the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. And whereas we once might have vigorously defended our own rights in a certain situation, as good Americans do, right? We're all about our rights. We're now more likely to look out more for the interests of other people than we are for our own interests just as Philippians 2.4 instructs us to do. And of course, this love that we exhibit ultimately grows out of the love we've been shown in the gospel. The more we grasp, guys, the, the true magnitude of the love Jesus has shown us, the more inclined we are to show that same love toward other people. Jesus even identifies this love as the defining characteristic of his followers. When he says to them in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. More than anything else, people will know. They'll recognize us for who we are, not by our profession of faith, or even by our level of Bible knowledge, but by the love we exhibit toward one another. And that love will increase as we grow toward spiritual maturity. So what about you? How are you doing in this area? You know, it, it wouldn't really be a bad question to ask how much do you know compared to this time last year? But we're not talking about that. We're, the, the question isn't, 
how much do you know, but rather how much do you love? That's probably a lot more of a reliable indicator about where you are in your spiritual maturity than the first question. And that leads us to the sixth and final mark of growth and grace, a greater burden for those who are far from God. Growing as a Christian means becoming more and more like God. And a huge part of what that means is for our hearts to become increasingly aligned with God's heart so that we desire what he desires. We're burdened for what he's burdened for. We're passionate about what he's passionate about. And if you know anything about God, then you know that he cares for those who are far from him. He's burdened for them. In Luke 15, he's pictured as a shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep in order to go after that one sheep that's lost. A few verses later, he's pictured as a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one and then proceeds to search every square inch of her house in order to find that one lost coin. And God's pictured finally as a father whose son insults him by taking his inheritance early and then travels to a distant country where he parties away his money until he's eventually broke and left with no other option but to return home to his father. And yet when this father sees his son coming in the distance, what does he say to him? It says that while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father then said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's the compassion God has to those who are far from him. He feels the same burden for them that a loving father would feel for a son who had become estranged. And the more we grow in grace, the more we also will have that same burden for those who are far from God. And the more we'll orient our lives around reaching out to them, developing genuine friendships with them, having them over to our house for dinner, <laughs> and of course, sharing the gospel with them. Is your heart coming into greater alignment with God's heart in that? Are you increasingly burdened for those who are far from God? So those are the six marks of growing in grace. Greater humility, greater delight in Jesus, greater holiness of life and conversation, um,
excuse me, greater spirituality of taste and mind, growing love for others, and a greater burden for those who are far from God. So again, let me challenge you to spend some time reflecting on each one of those. Maybe when you get home today. Use this opportunity to do a spiritual checkup of sorts on yourself. Or maybe to change the metaphor, take a spiritual inventory of your life. Maybe ask yourself some questions. Such as, how strong am I in each one of these areas? In which area do I see the most growth this past year? In which area do I need to grow the most this upcoming year? Now, guys, what a, what a tragedy it is to be a stagnant Christian. I mean, really, what a waste of a life. You know, thinking again of our main passage in 2 Peter 3, you may recall the context in which uh, verse 18 was written. Before Peter commands his readers in verse 18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he first helps them understand why they should want to do that. He writes in verses 13 and 14, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, here it is, be diligent to be found by him, Jesus, without spot or blemish and at peace. The fact is that each one of us will one day find ourselves face to face with Jesus. And that day is getting closer and closer. Every day that passes is one day closer to that day. And so the question is, on that day, how will Jesus find us? Are we growing in grace? Are we becoming increasingly more what he wants us to be. Yet at the same time, let's never forget that this growth is indeed growth in grace, as verse 18 makes clear. That means these six marks aren't ultimately things we achieve, uh, although we're certainly called to pursue them. Instead, ultimately, they're the results of the Holy Spirit's gracious work in our lives. And the way the Spirit does that is by opening our eyes to behold more of the glory of Jesus. We see this dynamic quite clearly in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I've shared numerous times before, and which in my opinion may very well be the most important verse about spiritual growth in the entire Bible. Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So notice the causal relationship. Right? It's as we behold the glory of the Lord that we're transformed 
into his image. We become what we behold. So the way we attain these six marks of growing in grace is a bit counterintuitive. Although we, of course, want to be very mindful of these things and pray specifically for these things on a very regular basis, the way we ultimately grow in these six areas is by fixing our gaze, not on these marks themselves, but on Jesus. It's his grace that enables our growth. And his glory that inspires it.